welcome to another episode of InsureTech Unscripted. This is Ali Safavi. I'm here together with Parker Beecham, uh, my dear friend. He's also an investor in Kobu. That's how we got to know each other. Really enjoyed kind of like working with Parker over the past year, I would say, or so. And he definitely has a lot of interesting insights and unique insights because of his background and how he got started as an investor. Uh, so I'll let him talk a little bit more about uh, his background. So Parker, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Number two, I understand. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a, like a great background. I won't do a great job with it. I'll, I'll just tell you that I've always been very interested by insurance. My mom and dad were both names at Lloyd's of London. And I get to go on Lloyd's trips when I was a little kid, hang out with the broker uh, families that they knew, and uh, ride the escalators, what at the time was the new Lloyd's building. I was just totally obsessed with insurance. Uh, and, I, and I can't explain why even to this day. I read uh, all the insurance books I could find. I'd ask them uh, to send me on insurance internship when I was a teenager, and I'd go live in little towns where insurance companies existed. I'd work in new departments um, every couple of weeks and try to learn about uh, that business. Um, yeah, I was in a great big hurry, rushed through college and graduate school, and took an insurance sales job for like, I don't even know what it was, like few thousand dollars borrowed my grandmother's car lived in a little i uh, thought like a fishing cabin and drove that car everywhere and distributed insurance online in all 50 states throughout the early 2000s kind of like lived through that whole like pack evolution you could get a pay-per-click for a nickel uh, for insurance and um did a lot of cool work in new insurance tech was a thing in the late 90s uh, at one of those insurance experiences. These, you know, medium husky white guys would come and read policies to the underwriter trainees. And I, I couldn't understand why they were reading them. They were right there in front of them. And then they would go and like recopy the policy in their own handwriting. And I was just thinking like, y'all have heard of the internet, right? Like it's going away in a couple of years. And that was 24 years ago this summer. Um, and so... I tried to push that as far as I, I could. Um, lived in a variety of uh, uh, various insure techs and concepts uh, before these things really even had names, which are popular uh, today. I um, ended up acquiring that uh, distribution company and then later kind of fell into an exit. Um, but it was great. And then, uh, you know, thought about what to do next. I really enjoyed my time working with InsureTechs on ideation and formation and strategy. And uh, I did everything back then with those companies except for give them uh, an investment. And so with this iteration of my life, I thought, um, I want those guys to win. Uh, I want the space to thrive, uh, not just InsureTech, but insurance. I think the world's a better place with insurance in it. And, um, and just keep rolling but this time make significant investments in people that are meaningful and hope to go do great, big, impactful work inside the space for the consumers of the space. So pretty dull, yeah, right? I mean, so, so yeah. the company that you had that you kind of like uh, sold, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. It's called yeah. Inguard, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Inguard. Inguard, correct. right. And then uh, now your current venture fund is called Mark Ventures, which you have Mark. multiple LPs, yep. a lot of it comes from your own capital. And, and you're very yep. focused on broker tech and agency tech, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So that's an important space, right? Uh, understanding yeah. how the way things work and how insurance gets distributed. It's like a completely distributed market and fast and very complicated. And um, 
you know, I think in early days of insured tech, a lot of people skipped over those and, you know, teased agents and brokers, et cetera. But uh, those are important people and important people to the process. And those are who clients choose many times. I mean, they have all the money, they have all the, uh, they have all, they have the market, they uh, have the know-how. Um, but for a variety of reasons, I think that they were behind in some things, but I have no doubt that, um, you know, the incumbent's an important part of the process today and always will be. And I think you see companies like yours that are starting to innovate around them and uh, be more helpful than disruptive. Uh, and that goes for many spaces in insurance and insure tech. Like, it's a great big thing. It's probably going to be hard to eat it all. Um, so, you know, how do we be helpful and iterative? Um, to try to evolve, um, you know, the industry. Yeah. So again, the reason I, I find your background interesting is because you're one of the only, uh, I would say, agent or agency owners, current investors that I know of, uh, and you actually have a venture fund. Isn't just family office that you invest, and in. it's a decent size, I would say, especially for the insurtech space. Uh, so the, I find it very interesting and, and a very unique um, kind of experience because when you're looking at startups and even when we kind of spoke to you, you weren't coming at it with a thesis. You were coming at it with your own problems. You kind of done what this. Yeah. You've done this. You've, you've been in it and not that long ago and you still are involved in some uh, operating capacities as well. So you kind of know the problems. It's not, it's not just a thesis and, um, and you kind of yeah. bring interesting insights there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, when people bring ideas to me to solve problems, I can like quickly decide if they were a problem or not. Like, oh yeah, that was awful. Or I remember that. That was just a terrible thing. Should have happened 15 years ago. Why has it not happened? How can we make it happen? Um, and then many times you get ideas where you can be helpful to the founders. Like, I'm not sure that's as big of a problem as you think that it may be, but let's go do some homework. I can introduce you to some people and we can go find out because I'm not positive that I'm right. And then have them go do that. And there may be some twisting or changing or like puzzle, puzzle piece moving to try to make what they're trying to do a little bit stronger. Um, and then maybe there's a way I can support them financially. Let's go to this. This is one of my favorite questions to ask anyone. It's what is your unpopular opinion or controversial uh, thesis that you feel like not everyone might agree with you? Especially, I think a lot of people have got the agency space wrong or like the distribution space wrong. So what do you think is... Oh, know, absolutely. I think that's known. I think that's generally accepted today that people have missed that. You know, it, it's funny how um, spaces or, or buzzwords or terms kind of go in the space. We could like replay a lot of those. One I see happening all the time or used all the time uh, is embedded. I mean, I think embedded is a term that we talk about constantly. Makes a ton of sense. Um, two plus two is 10 or whatever the math is. Um, you know, monetization, value add, stickiness, retention, all those things make sense. But I'll tell you, that's a, it's a lot harder work uh, than people uh, think. Like those are usually like belly to belly sales, one to one, very difficult. Um, things to do with great big companies that have development teams that change and turnover and leadership changes. It's a tough space. Uh, I pushed that for a very long time, probably more than 10 years ago. And, and it was always difficult. Um, but I do think that, I don't know if this would be controversial, but I do think that one of the great ways for agents and brokers is to be the actual distribution partners of the embedded play itself. 
They probably already insured those companies. They probably already have a, a trusting relationship. They know how they work versus uh, pure play, new school, embedded plays that are trying to go do direct sales. So I do think that um, a controversial part of you think maybe maybe not as high as you think, um, even though I agree that it makes a ton of sense. But I would like to see an iteration where the agents and the brokers are actually the distribution partners of the embedded plays themselves. They probably don't have the technology, but I know that there's an embedded partner out there that could bring them the technology for where they can go do the deals uh, with their friends and clients in their communities. I think that makes sense. Uh, it's, it's interesting. On other episodes of this podcast, uh, we kind of somehow come back to embedded. As you said, it's a very hot topic, um, especially 2022. I think a lot of people called it the, the year of embedded, which I don't think it was yeah, as people said it's going it. on for a long time 100 years yeah. probably, you know but yeah know. it's talked about um, a lot i think tostos my co-founder like he had a way of saying it is like look embedded is growing it's an interesting market but yeah think about the entire insurance distribution is still a very small chunk of the entire market yeah it's gonna grow to i mean it could slowly grow more and more but people take it a little bit lightly and i think the model that you described in which is you get leads through embedded channels, but then the conversion happens with a human in the loop makes a ton of sense because I think for most insurance products, it's just going to be very hard to sell without a human touch or a human component or a human push. Right. Uh, or the humans get the, uh, the the partnership built and then from tech from there on out. Uh, yeah. There could be a lot of ways that it could work, but um, to get into those companies cold and hold the relationship long enough to develop the lead generation over time and have it be growing is a great big hard thing. So in your agency, what were the primary lines or primary things that you had? Like, for example, did you do an embedded play and what lines were you guys more? All the time we were working on embedded plays. Yeah. And they could be very simple. They could be uh, very affiliate programs or they could be with great big companies too. Um, Of course, I was always trying to work on the great big companies and uh, those hit with various success, uh, sometimes not, um, or sometimes they just, you get sick of it and it fizzle out a little bit. But, you know, I always felt like if you were going to, uh, to develop a partnership, it'd be better to develop a partnership that could um, bring many, many, many clients than versus just doing a deal with a client. And so I always felt like some form of embedded or affiliation deal was better because you don't kick out a lot of deals for maybe the same work, maybe a little more work, but not proportionally more work, not one-to-one. What were the key learnings you had from those? Like, what are the things that you feel? It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. What's hard about it? Is it closing closing a partner that is hard or is it converting those deals? I don't, I think it's the part, I think it's the partner that's hard. It's hard to get into the companies. It's hard to hold their attention. Uh, people change positions. It's hard to control uh, leadership. Um, you know, they're already doing a thing, right? And so they're adding something to it. And many times, it's very easy for them to lose focus on the addition by just focusing on the thing that they do. And I think that that's what makes it tough. And this, these are long-term things. And so, um, you know, not going to change it with embedded, but I, I think that that's what's tough is like, you're doing a partnership with a company that you hope lasts a very long time and is mutually successful and better for the consumer. Um, but, you know, it's difficult. Hard to hold the attention. Hard to get in. Hard to get going. Hard to miss all the roadblocks. And, um, you know, hard to monetize. 
let's imagine you get in and you kind of figure out a partnership model, but do you think, how difficult is it to actually convert those leads? Is that difficult as well mm -hmm. or no? Like generally, you get good leads and it's easy to convert them. Well, I think the experience in any partnership could be different, but I think that once you're converting leads, it, um, I mean, there's, it's always tough in the very beginning, right? It takes a little extra um, you know, human power to make sure that everything goes well and uh, you know, you're working through the problems and making sure the user experience is a good one. Um, and, and then after that, I think it moves into more of a place where uh, deals are happening and it's going well, uh, yet how do you continue to feed it? How do you continue to make sure that it's got people's attention? Um, how do you continue to evolve it rather than just, you know, milk it? Um, you know, I think it's got a life cycle. Each one of those partnerships has a life cycle of its own. Um, you know, it needs properly nourished and developed and, um, you know, cared for just like anything. So now let's imagine we're 20 years from now or like whatever the future horizon is for you. Do you see embedded a big part of the future or what is the picture that you have for the future of distribution or insurance as a whole? I, I think it'll be a part of the future. I, I don't think that there'll be any one thing uh, in the future. Uh, like I said, it's a great big diverse marketplace. It's very complicated and serves a lot of segments around the world. And, um, so I don't think there's an end-all be-all for any of this, but is embedded a part of that? You know, I, I would imagine so, uh, most definitely. Like a big part or like a small part? Like I, I want to say like how, like for example, when you think about the agency market, the distribution market, that, sorry, the captive mm -hmm. independent market, the direct market, how big is embedded mm -hmm. you think, compared to the rest? I think it's bigger than it is today, but I don't think it's bigger than any of those other things unless pushed by those things. So you think like uh, the future is going to be more dominated by a hybrid model of, I don't know, like an independent agency meets embedded and kind of like together works on just a better customer experience or whatever. It's going to keep going. Um, but I don't think there's an end-all be-all for any of these things. I think that, um, you know, probably things that, uh, offer technology that consumers want to consume and interact with are probably going to be have a bigger and bigger role in the process in 20 years from now. But I'll tell you, you know, in 1999, I thought insurance, was I thought because of the internet, all this was going away in a couple of years. And here we are 24 years later this summer, and we're still just barely chipping away at it. So if I flash forward another 20 years, is it a bigger jump than we made in the last 20? I would suspect. But is it night and day? I can't imagine that it's uh, earth-shattering necessarily. I mean, insurance has evolved for hundreds and hundreds of years, if not thousands, depending upon how you uh, track your insurance what history. Find insurance, yeah. But it's always going to be evolving. It's going to be going. This isn't a flash in the pan. It's just going to keep evolving, getting better and better and better. Um, and so uh, I don't think that there's like an on-off moment or a uh, line in the sand where there's point of no return. I think it's just going to continually evolve and get better and more thoughtful and better for consumers and all the parties that play. What do we think better is? Like what, what is better in 20 years? Like, does that mean new products? Does it yeah. mean like risk management? Does that mean is insurance definition? Like what is better? I think if uh, um, we want to be dreamers here, uh, you know, insurance can come up with a way for bad things ever to happen to people, right? Like, 
I, I think the goal is, is like, hey, let's make sure that the bad thing doesn't happen. And uh, that's very tough and very unlikely. And so when the bad things happen, to make sure that they get back to the way that they were um, as quickly and as, in as pleasant of an experience as possible. So I think that like those are the overarching things. So is that like prevent bad stuff from happening. And when it does, that it is uh, pleasant. People get back to where they were. People, organizations, things, casualty lines, um, uh, as well as they as well as they can be. I think you're just going to constantly work on it. And um, as far as new products and new risk management techniques, I mean, the world's changing, right? Like, open up a reinsurance trade magazine. Like, this is a this is a big deal. Like, these uh, climate's a big deal. Um, Cyber is a big deal. Me and you were in agreement that the ideal future is managing people's risk, from what I understand, which is we help prevent bad stuff from happening. But if it happens, we want to make sure we can make them whole again. But we make them whole. We don't just give them a check. Like we actually help solve the problem. Right. That's the ideal world. Right. It was, it was good. I am a little bit more optimistic about the timeline of getting there. I don't think it's going to be perfect. Mainly because that's why I started Kovu, at least. I mean, I think I'm thinking about it that way. And we have a plan of how to get there. It's like, what are the ways that we could do? And I think we also underestimating like a lot of the technology that exists now that would allow us to kind of like help the prevention and mitigation and all that. And then that's why I keep saying like it all starts with a trusted relationship with the customer. So if we build trust with them and they would listen to us to make the decisions around the risk and insurance, we might be able to get convinced them to let us manage the risk for them through all these mitigation and making whole and all these other strategies, um, which obviously is a, is a dream, as you said, and this is what we're trying to build towards, but uh, obviously it's a long, long play. Just to go a little bit more into an area that um, I know you obviously are very involved with, it's kind of like the agency space. Uh, let's start with painting a picture. What is the state of the market today let me start with this, actually, like a big question that a lot of people ask. What do you think the future is going to be and how big are independent agents uh, in the future? I think independent agents and brokers are going to be a big deal. Indefinitely. Like 50% of the market? More or less? Oh, I don't know from a percentage standpoint. Um, I, I, I think the market's going to shrink or grow? A great deal. I think the market's going to shrink and grow. I think certain areas are going to get bigger, certain areas are going to get smaller. Some will get consumed by, um, you know, the other distribution uh, points that you talked about, like um, captives or direct players, et cetera, uh, depending upon the line of business. But other areas are going to grow. Um, it's going to get more difficult. Uh, premiums are going to um, have to increase probably in many cases. And maybe those are controlled by independent agents brokers. But uh, the future is a long time. So I don't know what your horizon is. but. I, I think it's going to be a big deal. And, um, you know, there'll be new entrants all the time. But I think I think independence is a thing. Like, the ability to represent your client uh, with your client's interest um, and work with a variety of, uh, you know, balance sheets to try to protect them is is going to be a thing. Like, that, that just makes a ton of sense. I think in the end, the independence is is a winner here. So when you think about the agency space, um, two things, a few things that are interesting. One is there are 40,000 independent agencies now compared to 36,000 two years ago, which means there's more independent agencies. 
At the same time, you look at the M&A activity, there's more M&A also happening in the space. So it means like there's a, there's a lot more acquisition. And at the same time, a lot of the captive agency forces, it sounds like there's some pushes or momentum towards moving into an IA model versus a captive model um, that is also happening at the same time. So there's like a little bit of change. But as you said, I think independent PNC is growing, direct is growing a little bit, um, and it's kind of happening at the same time. Um, that and the pie is growing as 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 a whole. Yeah. But why do you think the PEs are disinvolved right now in this space? Do you think it just has to do with like the whole cash flow model of these agencies or anything else that is drawing them into the space? Because there's a lot of PEs buying our agencies now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and have for a long time and probably will continue to. Um, I mean, it's, I think it just goes to show you that it's a great business. Um, you know, usually it's a very sticky client base. I think that being able to factor the money, so to speak, to make sure that you could ever return uh, is good. Economies are good. Um, the ability to grow and provide more shared services and resources for clients is important. Again, the, the market's not necessarily shrinking, right? Like you said, it, you know, there's still more agencies all the time, which many could be insured techs. Um, but you know, if you think about some of those organizations, the great big organizations, uh, the publics, um, there's all kinds of insurance talent throughout all of those. And it's very easy, low barriers to start a new agency. Uh, I, I think you have people continue to start agencies um, all the time. And do you think these PEs are actually providing customer value as well? Because I, I just wanted, I'm thinking from a customer centricity perspective, how good or bad is this consolidation, the PE model of consolidation? I personally think that it could be better, quite honestly. I mean, if you you move from an organization of like 30 or 40 people to an organization of three or 4,000 people, uh, you know, maybe you're 100 million premium to 10 billion premium and um, all the internal and external resources and carrier resources and knowledge and know-how. It's not for everybody, but I, I, I do not think that that detracts from a consumer's uh, best interest. In many cases, uh, it's an improvement. Because the narrative that I'm seeing also, like, again, you have more experience than I do, is that, um, like, let's say a 5 million GWP book Mm-hmm. It's the agent is involved with their customers, have a personal relationship, then they sell to a PE or you know whatever that it's just massive, and the customers become like you know one thousand customers out of hundreds of thousands, and yeah. um, the agent also leaves after like a year or two years or whatever they have yeah. to stay, so they don't care any much much more about the business anymore because I mean their incentive to cashed out. So, and, and a lot of the PEs are not really good at kind of like um, the, the back office services or technology or kind of any kind of value add. So I'm like, the personalization is gone. The resources are a little bit more, but at the same time, like there's, they're not, like that's not their core competency. Like the main thing just to kind of retain, yeah. like the metrics was all about aggregation. It's nothing to do with the customer experience. Right. Yeah. Personal more than uh, commercial. I mean, those are different. All of these are different things. You know, there's, there are a lot of these out there and there's good ones and there's bad ones and every line or segment or department of those businesses are, could be looked at differently. Um, and I think that, you know, the situation that you described, um, could be very prevalent in a number of these. Yeah. In others, I, I think, you know, I'd share that like it could be partner driven, like 
these principals are staying in and they're staying deeply involved with their clients and they're finding new wins and improvements for their clients and, um, you know, coming up with better ideas because they have more exposure to better ideas. Um, and so, uh, and, and many times it takes away a lot of distractions and a lot of pressures, uh, at that agency level, uh, to be a part of something while still independent, um, you know, they're not alone. Um, and I think that they may feel more protected in a group than they did when it was just them. Um, and, and maybe getting, uh, bullied by carriers or other partners or, um, you know, sky's the limit there. So I, I, I think it's spectrum, right? There's good ones and the, there's bad ones, but I, but I, I personally believe that you wouldn't do that, um, unless you thought it was going to be, to be better. And while it takes time, I mean, some of these uh, aggregators close on 100 transactions a year uh, to sort of bring all this culture together and to unify everything uh, is a lot of hard work and uh, it, it can get better. But it does not mean that then, you know, the total distribution force by count gets smaller because I think there's uh, agencies all the time that are starting up or uh, people that no longer want to work for the the publics and they've got clients and go get clients and there's technologies like your companies available to them to bring a lot of these resources uh, to them to start something that's not very difficult to start even easier. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm long on the distribution space. I think it's gone on this way for a long time and it'll probably go like this for a very long time too. So as uh, someone who spends a lot of time on the distribution space, um, what do you let's let's make it a little bit more specific. What is the state of mind for insurance agencies today? What are what are the biggest problems, challenges, concerns, risks that you see for the agencies or potential distribution as a whole? If you're an agent or a broker, or you're uh, thinking about becoming one and starting one, then I mean I think reputation is by far your biggest exposure, right? Like. Um, Deep down, probably most of those people are want to be protectors, uh, want to be little superheroes and always have the claim work out perfectly and the coverage is never wrong and we always had enough coverage and limit and we never charged too much and uh, the experience was amazing. Um, of course, it never goes that way. And so I think when you're uh, in that space, you, you just want to have a great reputation. Um, and I think that's probably everybody's uh, biggest risk, um, personally. As far as all the other things, of course, those are all there too. But I think at the end of the day, it's a service business, and uh, you know, people have to have a great reputation in order to be um, hired uh, to represent, um, you know, those needs. Uh, yeah, because also one of the things that I like, based on a lot of the surveys that I've seen and a lot of the customers that we talk to, is hiring there seems to be like a massive talent shortage going on in the agency space as well um i think the last number i saw was like 50 percent almost of agencies reported mm -hmm. number one problem they're dealing with is just finding staff or talent in the back end i think if you went back in time it, it's the same problem it's like everybody's 60 right um we can't find people uh, um people aren't good enough uh and you know i think if you back up 20 years and another 20 years and another 20 years they're all talking about the same thing so I, I think that is it a problem generally? Um, I don't know that it's a problem. It's probably a challenge. But I think 
you know, the top flight organizations and leadership are solving for that, right? And everybody else is, you know, not their problem. You mentioned technology. Technology gets better and better. Education gets better and better. There's not a single answer. Because I think you're thinking about the bigger agencies. Because 85% of the market are small to medium-sized agencies where there's like one producer or two or three maybe producers. And Mm -hmm. the agent is the one who has to figure all of that out. Like, I mean, if you're talking about a big company, then yeah, like you have management focused on hiring. But like, for the bulk of the market, I would assume the producer has to sell, has to service, has to hire, has to do that. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of the problem of like, I'm just understaffed and overwhelmed and I need to kind of figure out how to do stuff efficiently and hire people. Uh, and I would just say that I think that that's always been the problem, right? You go to an industry thing 20 years ago and they were talking about the same thing. Um, so I, you know, I, I think again, companies like yours are, uh, and there's a variety of others out there that are going to continue to help, um, solve for this. And, um, you know, I think this space will develop and get better. Um, I, I don't disagree that these are challenges, but they're not insurmountable. I think every company in the world deals with people. Um, do we have enough so of them? Uh, can we afford them? Are we doing as much as we can with them? Uh, are they happy? Are they longtime partners? So what do you think the biggest opportunities are in the distribution or agency space? Biggest opportunity for the agents and the brokers themselves, the principals, the clients. So I'm a, I, I want to start a company or yeah. I want to invest in kind of the space. I want to say like in your opinion, like looking at the space and obviously your experience with distribution. What do you think is a is a some of the biggest opportunities that could be solving a problem for the agents? That could be yeah. replacing the agents if you think that's that's a big opportunity. So yeah, you what do you I don't think you're going to replace the agents? I think the biggest opportunity is for the technologies that exist today for agents to consume that technology and be a better service provider to their customers. I think that that's probably the most exciting space. Like all these things that you dreamed of having. 10 or 15 years ago are, are now here or soon to be here or could be had here. You know, it's not pie in the sky stuff anymore. It, it used to be so far off that if I only had this or I could do these following things, all those things now, for the most part, are available to you. I agree, it's a little disjointed and maybe not one partner can solve for all those things. Tech-enabled um, agencies and workforces and uh, producers are a thing. Let's go a little bit more specific. Like, one, do you think agencies are good at adopting technology? Because my experience with them is that, like, there's too many little tools out there. There have to be bigger and better platforms that do more things, in my opinion. You you have to have a trusted partner on those. And you have a lot of AMSs out there, agency management systems. and But there sounds to still a lot of opportunities. So, like... Because when we said take enable, like take to enable what exactly? Like what are the pieces right. or specific ideas or opportunities right. that you think are the biggest potential? Well, I think it'd be very it'd be very easy to be incredibly critical of the agency management systems, right? Like this is where that innovation should have been happening all the time. And um, it has not and it is not. And so you're seeing all these uh, you know, venture backed insure techs starting up that are doing little pieces of the things that they should have been doing all along. Let me rephrase that. I want to make sure I understand correctly. You're saying that they're either going to um, work with a partner, which could be like a role of play, like to sell their agency, and the partner is going to figure out how to make them tech enabled, or the solution is like an all-in-one platform, which again is a partner, but is like a 
all-in-one solution to do uh, the kind of figure. So it has to be jointed and it has to be complete. And that probably is going to be achieved through a partner that they have to like work with, which is partners yep. typically are people who buy them out uh, from what I understand. It could be either of those things. And both yeah. could provide uh, the platform and the technology necessary to keep up with the future. Um, you know, sure. meanwhile, I think that people continue to wait around on AMSs and the like to do it. And uh, it's just not happening fast enough and uh, never has. Um, so, um, you know, I think that in the meantime, there are these opportunities for companies like yours to, you know, solve for those needs and, um, you know, do a lot of good. This is, this is why we did COVID the way that we're doing it now, because what we learned working with these agencies is that technology alone is not enough. And most technologies are just a piece of the puzzle. Like if, if a customer calls in, you can't get a technology just to like magically solve it if the customer is you know, expecting to talk to someone. So that's why we had to like take on a lot of the back office operation and then leverage technology with a joint ecosystem. Like it can't be disjointed, as you said, with an all-in-one solution to be able to like just digitalize the entire stack but kind of in a tech-enabled fashion more than just completely replacing humans because I feel like it's just almost impossible at this stage because most customers possible. don't want to talk about Yeah, or when it's scary or hard or default or those things fail, like there, there's, it's, it, there's people involved. Um, and again, think of all the, like think of all the thousands of carriers in the United States and all the, you know, millions of consumers of insurance. There's just not one thing that grabs all that stuff grabs all that and fixes all that and uh, solves for people totally. So uh, it's like a technology you know, partnership model makes a lot of sense. And I a hundred percent agree with you. I feel like yeah. it needs to be like a partner yeah. technology focused, a little bit of both yeah. or organizations like yours that are a hybrid of that and solving for that. And I don't think like a carrier X is going to go to an IA that works with 10 carriers and just digital is a whole thing. Like my experience with no. has been, but carriers are important, you know, in order for, like a carrier has to interact with whatever that tech stack looks like. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, no. Integration uh, is a different And if they don't, then, you know, you're like, you're pushing it. It's got to be pushed both ways. Oh, yeah. You have so, to build pipelines. Um, right. And if, and if agencies knew what transactions with which carriers done by which people cost what, then it would be a remarkable thing, right? Like you just have to accept that some carriers are more expensive for the agency to do business with than others. Some are piece cake, some are, and it may be very difficult to see because it's hard and to you measure. Think agencies actually and care. It's an and like, I think I absolutely think actually care. care. Like these are, yeah, yeah. These are good businesses and sharp people that care and care about their customers. And um, yeah, nobody wants to run a bad agency. Everybody wants to have a great agency. And so, um, you know, I think it's a like, they are the incumbent. Uh, they are tenacious. Uh, they want to win and have great reputations. And so they're going to seek these technologies and partners and solutions on all aspects of their business so that they can keep winning. Um, two questions, but quick. One, what was the biggest kind of lesson learned or insight you picked up in 2022, you think? Like something that you felt like initially you got wrong or something that you just picked up on the way. It's like, oh, that was interesting. We didn't make any mistakes in 22. Kidding, of course. Uh, it doesn't have to be a mistake. It could be just like an insight you picked up by looking at yeah. someone else. Mistake or just something I feel like it was interesting yeah. learning in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people with the uh, on the venture side with the um, you know changing climate, so to speak, just like an adjustment here. I think that like I 
I knew this, so it wasn't a takeaway, but I think it was confirmed throughout the year. Like, hey, the space is going to roll. Like, trains left the station. Uh, insurance is involved. You know, innovated for very, very long time. Uh, we'll continue to innovate. And these little ebbs and flows and market conditions come and go. And uh, I, I don't think that there's ever been a better time uh, to be a founder or to be an investor or to be working in insurance. And I think that at the end of 22, that's what I thought it was going to be. I think it was. And I think that 2023, yes, of course, we'll have challenges like any given year. But, you know, things are going to continue to roll. And um, I think it's going to get better and better and better. So you think it's going to be the best year yet to start a company for InsureTech? I mean, uh, you can't start one last year. You can't start one next year. So if you're going to start one, I'd start one now, personally. And what are you looking forward to in 2023? Like what's the, you know, something you anticipate coming up or something you don't look forward to? No, I'm looking forward to, every, I think, just more. Just more of everything. There's going to be winners and losers in every given year. And um, so... I'm just going to go for it, like always. Very good. Parker, thank you so much. This was, this was a fun chat. <laughs> I appreciate making time. Yeah, man. <laughs>